Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. My name is, that was a that was a rousing that was more more rousing from me than it maybe should have been. Uh, it's good to see you all this morning. My name is Vince. I am one of the elders here, the teaching pastor. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you at some point. I see some faces I, I may not know, so I'd, lo- I'd love to meet you. Um, I want to begin our time before we even get into the book of Hebrews, which is what we've been studying over the last weeks. Um, we talked as elders this last week uh, about doing something just before we got into the book. Um, and that's this. I want to share some stories with you about the ways that we've seen God at work here in a part of our church family. Um, in, in this way specifically, in the way that he's healed people. Uh, over the last five or six months, I'm, I'm bad with, with time, timing. Um, over the last five or six months, we've been praying for healing in, in multiple different ways for different families. Um, and, and we've seen God at work uh, healing. We, we've seen him at work healing. And so let me ask a, a couple questions as we get into this. I want to hear your response. Um, does God command us to pray? Yeah? Or does God, does, does God ask us to pray for healing? He does, right? Now, here's the, the, the kind of question we don't like to answer. Does God always heal when we ask him to? He doesn't, right? He, he doesn't. And so there's a, there are a lot of people who wait. And, and, and what we've seen over, over the last several months is that um, there, there have been some who have labored in prayer for healing, and we've joined them in that, and, and God has been at work healing in a lot of ways. So I want to share some of these stories with you. I'm not going to share names. Um, some of these families have said I could. Some have um, I, I've not talked to about sharing their names. So I don't want to share names. And here's one of the reasons I don't want to share names is because I want um, not the person to be um, uh, highlighted, but I want, to, I want the God to be highlighted. I want God to be seen as the one who's, who's glorified in this. There, there's a family who has um, uh, for months, um, maybe years, tried to conceive and, and have more children. And um, in, in the process, they've had multiple miscarriages. Um, uh, difficult, discouraging miscarriages, which, which they always are. Um, and, and so they, they've experienced that. And, and we've been praying with them and for them as elders. Um, and and the part of their story is that um, <clears throat> uh, this young mom is now... Um, in her 14th week of what seems like now a healthy pregnancy, which they have not experienced for years, um, we, we've got to see that as part of God's healing, right? We, we've got to see that as coming from God. There's, a, there, there's another family who has a young child who's been in and out of, of treatments for months and months and months with a, with a tumor um, caught early on in life, and, and they've wrestled through different treatments, none of them really seeming to work. Um, and, and we've been laboring in prayer as elders with them, for them, for, for months. And um, uh, uh, two weeks ago, they found out um, that they had an appointment. They were leaving the doctor's appointment. The doctors come, came running after them um, down the hall to let them know that the, the tumor had, and they hadn't seen this, had, had diminished in size by 20%. We've got to see that as, as God's healing, right? 
um, just before Christmas, a, a young woman in our church um, was told she probably had what, what looked like cancer. It wasn't a good prognosis. Um, the, the, the doctor scheduled surgery pretty quickly. Um, and we spent um, four weeks leading up to that time where they could get her in, praying with them. I, I spent every Sunday, I said, I want to pray for you every Sunday until that time. Um, so I, ga- I gathered with this couple every, every Sunday to pray. Just before um, Christmas, um, they, they had this procedure to take some of it out to, to do a biopsy. Um, and, and after the procedure, the doctor notified the gal pretty quickly and said, there are no signs of cancer at all. We've got, we've got to see that as God's healing, right? Another family who has a, a few children with severe food allergies was going through testing to see how allergic they, uh, one of their children would be to a, a certain food that, that historically they had experienced pretty severe allergies to. And so last Sunday, this is just last Sunday, um, a, a few of the elders gathered around them to pray just right, right up here. Um, they did um, testing that Monday morning, so what, six days ago? Um, testing that mo- Monday morning in a, in a controlled environment in the doctor's office. And, and the results that, that came from that over some sc- scary moments um, is, is that um, there were no signs of allergy at all in that, in that moment. So we've got to see that as, as God's healing, right? And, and story after story, right? And, and, and a lot of you know our story. I won't... Um, I, I, won't hide the names. Um, uh, we have a son who's wrestled with a, a seizure disorder for years, um, since birth, and um, uh, we've been praying for months that God would would do a work of healing in him. Um, and 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 um, so we've we've begun weaning him off of medication. Just long story there, but weaning him off of of medication, um, a medication he's been on for nearly his whole life, um, nine years. And he's down to the 20% of that medication in his weaning process. And, and we've only seen just a, a few seizure-like symptoms. And, and that was back in November. And so it's been, it's been quite a few months. Even in that, as, as hesitant as I am to say in my lack of faith, even that, we've got to see it as part of God's healing, right? And so um, we wanted to put these stories in front of you as as elders because um we've got to keep in mind that god heals he absolutely does he he heals he's the only one who heals now he may use medicine and procedures and and doctors and, and all of those things are a part of the ways that he heals but he is the one who is powerful to bring healing and so a couple couple things we wanted to put in front of you um, to, to let you know uh, w- with these stories for, for a few reasons. Here's what, here's what they are. Here are the reasons. One, we want to let you know that, that, that when we say as elders, we want to pray for you, we mean it. Uh, we mean it because we know the God who brings healing. There, there's nothing magical about the elders or, or other people who pray with you. But, but when we say as elders, we want to pray for you and with you that God would bring healing in your life, we're serious. So don't, don't think, well, maybe they're, they're talking about someone else. We're, we're talking about you, right? Tumors and, and allergies and seizures and backaches and, and all of that stuff. We're, we're, we're talking about you. So, so we want to, to be able to pray with you and for you. And then secondly, we want to communicate these stories to you more in, in an ongoing way to give you, um, to, in one sense, to give you hope. Like I said in the beginning, when we pray, God doesn't have to answer the ways that we're praying, right? He doesn't have to. 
But as we give these stories, I think what I'm wanting to put in front of us is that there is hope that, that, that while many of you have been pleading with God for years for something, and you haven't seen God work in the ways that you would ask him to, he is still powerfully at work in the body, in the people around you. And so we've got to see that as ways that God is working that brings hope to our lives. So so if you face chronic pain or illness or, or depression or, or whatever it is you're facing, we want to walk with you through that. We want to be praying through that with you to the very one who is powerful. The, the only one we, we place our hope in. We, we want to join you. And there, there is hope. All right? And so I know that some of you have faced the, the devastation of, of unanswered, what seems like unanswered prayers. And that's hard too. But that doesn't mean we should stop praying. We want to keep laboring in prayer with you and, and for you. So um, we have a God who, who cares deeply for his people. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is up to something in our church. I really do. I believe that the Holy Spirit is up to something. We're seeing just the edge of what God, God can do and, and, and is up to. And so I'd like to invite you to join me in praying um, in that direction, that, that God would continue to, to do some of the things we, we've seen and, um, and that we would point all the attention to him. Would you join me in praying that over the, the weeks and months and years, lifetime to, to come? Okay? There's no good transition from that other than this. My wife's home in bed, and so I got out of the house wearing this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 is what we're looking at this morning. Um, we are in, in a series in the book of Hebrews, and we've been working through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and so um, we, we want to keep looking at it. If you don't know where Hebrews is, that's fine. Um, it's near the back of your Bibles, just after uh, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, just before James and Peter. And so you'll, you'll find it near the back. Um, I've said this before multiple times, but I, I want to say it again. You, if you join us regularly, you're going to need a Bible. We're going to be looking at our Bibles. I want you to see the authoritative God, word, word of God as we work through Scripture. And so I, I want you to look at it. If you don't own a Bible, take the one that's near you, um, if it's uh, one of the black ones. All right? So um, once you've found Hebrews 10... Um, I'd like to ask you if you're able to join me in standing this morning as we read the uh, holy and inspired word of God. <clears throat> I love that sound. I love the sound of pages turning and people standing um, as we read. Starting uh, ch- chapter 10, verse 1, we'll read through verse 18. You can follow along in your Bibles. Here's what it says. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, 
You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. Uh, For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. This passage that we're looking at, that we just read, is, is the culmination of a, a large argument. So it's the, it's the, the bringing together of an argument that the, that the author has been making since back to chapter 5. That, that Jesus is the Son of God, a, a great high priest. All of, that, all of that comes crashing together here in one large theological crescendo. Right, and so this argument has been, been started back in chapter five and, and it's moving forward. In the coming weeks, we'll see how the author is talking about faith and encouraging the people to, to, to persevere in faith, giving them a long history lesson of, of those who have been faithful before them. But here in this passage, the author brings this long argument together, tying up loose ends. And, and maybe you saw this as we read through it, but do you know how he brings it all together? Do you know how he brings this entire argument together? Think about the context of what the people are going through. We've we've talked about this multiple times, but it's important to to keep in mind the context of the original hearer. Think about that context. These are Jewish Christians in Rome who have faced persecution. It is looming. It is is becoming worse, right? This persecution that they're facing is is severe persecution, and, and the people are likely struggling in their faith. Many of them are, are likely beginning to doubt God's goodness. And many of them are probably wondering if following Jesus is really all that it's been built up to be. That, that's the sort of context in, in which the people find themselves. And you can imagine that, that many of them are probably looking back fondly at the days when they knew where they stood with God. Think about this. I'm going to bring this back up later. The people in this day were possibly looking back at fondness, at this idea of knowing where they stood with God based on a couple things. Based on, yep, if I go to the right place, the tabernacle, if I go to the right priest, if I, if I make the right sacrifice, then I know where I stand with God. They could, they could tangibly put that together. So they're longing for the days when, oh yeah, I remember when I could figure figure that out. I, I had a tangible grasp on that. But, but the problem is that all of that was temporary. Yeah, it was all, all sufficient, at least until the next time that they had to do it. 
Right? And, and the next time that they had to do that, and on and on and on, until they, they, they could secure a, a right standing with God again through a place and a priest and a sacrifice. And, and so with that context in mind, do you know how the author brings this argument all together? What do you think the people need to hear? What do you think the people in this stage need to hear? I, I'm not sure it's really that much different than, than what we need to hear and be reminded of regularly. And I'll just put it as plainly as I I, I can. A common theme that every follower of Christ, I would say everyone, but every follower of Christ needs to be reminded of regularly is the gospel. Now, don't check out. Some of you just heard that and said, yep, I've, I've already heard this one. I've already heard this sermon. He's just warming this one up. No, don't don't check out. This is what the author of Hebrews does to tie the entire argument together. He he compiles all of the finer points of the argument that have been been made from chapter 5 on and walks through the gospel. That there's a problem. Specifically, there's a problem with sin. And and there's a solution to that problem. And and in that that problem and that solution, what we see is the solution is not a temporary one, but but it's final. Isn't that the the gospel? Isn't that what what you and I need to hear as well? So don't shut down. Don't think, yep, I've already heard this sermon. This is an argument that's been going on since chapter 5. And some would say this is an argument that's been going on since the very first verses of Hebrews where where the author says that Jesus is is greater than the angels, so don't put your hope in angels. And then he just continues. Don't put your hope in Moses. Don't put your hope in Abraham. Don't put your hope in the tabernacle. Don't put your hope in in priests. Don't put your hope in, in sacrifices. All of this points to Jesus. You and I need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel over and over and over and over again. So, so if you've been a follower of Jesus for years, you need it. You need to be reminded of the gospel. Have you been a, a follower of Jesus since, since college? Maybe you're in college now and, and you're thinking, yeah, that, that's me. You need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel. Have you been a follower of Jesus maybe just for, for uh, days, months? You need to, to hear regularly the, the truth of the gospel. Maybe you're in a place where you say, I don't know if I'm a, I'm a Christian at all. I, I would say to you, um, you, you also need to hear the truth of the gospel and respond. Maybe you're intrigued. It's piqued your interest a little bit because you've been here over and over, but you're, you're unsure where you stand there. So you need to hear this as well. I, I would say there's not a, a person in this room right now who doesn't need to be regularly reminded of the truth of the gospel. And so that's what we see this morning in, in these verses in, in Hebrews. What we see first is there's a problem. There is a problem. Specifically, there is a sin problem. The author ties everything together, saying in verse 1, the law that God gave Moses and the people in the wilderness was just a shadow of the good thing that, that, that was coming. Those sacrifices offered year after year after year after year after year can never make perfect those who draw near. Now, that's a problem, isn't it? That the sacrifices that were offered will never perfect a people so that they can draw near to God. They will temporarily, but but it will never make a, a person perfect so that they can draw near to God. That That's a problem. And there's a large group of people who desire to be near God, but that nearness to God is hindered by the temporary nature of the sacrifices. And, and so that they, they could be at peace with God after... Think, think about this order. They, they could be at peace with God in the minds of the people. They could be at peace with God after the sacrifice was offered. So just after the sacrifice was offered, they could be at peace with God. And just before they sinned again. And if they're anything like me, that was seconds, right? Offered a sacrifice, 
Now I want to kill someone, right? So th- th- it was seconds after that. They were in need. And that's not to mention that every human has a sin nature. Every human after Adam has a sin nature. Just woven into to who uh, the, the human is, is a sin nature. So there is absolutely a, a problem. And, and the sacrifices made were necessary, we're told, year after year after year. They were necessary. We're told in verse 2 they were necessary. Or... That they were absolutely necessary, or the people would have stopped offering those sacrifices. Right? That's the argument the authors are trying to make. That, that it's shown that they're necessary, or the people would have stopped making those sacrifices. They would, they would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Right? It would, just would have been done away with. Or really the sense that's behind this is they would no longer have a guilty feeling about their sin. They would no longer have that sort of guilty, shameful feeling about their sin if the sacrifice worked and was permanent. But it's not. It's temporary. I just want us to stop right there for a second and drill down into that a little bit. Under the old covenant, the the laws that God gave Moses for the people... The people were required to offer sacrifices year after year after year after year for uh, their ongoing sins. And and since that's the case, that they they were offering them year after year after year, I I can imagine they were constantly thinking about it, right? Just 364 more days, right? Just 363 more days. And, And constantly thinking about what was coming. The sacrifices were a temporary solution to the problem of sin. And because it was temporary, the worshiper of God was constantly feeling, sensing the, the guilt of their sin. Because in one sense, it, it had to be taken care of again. It wasn't taken care of once and for all. It had to be taken care of again. So they were constantly under the, the, that burden and, and guilt of, of sin. It was always hanging over them. Had the old covenant been permanent, the people wouldn't feel the guilt and shame of their sin. They wouldn't feel it. In the old sacrificial system, verse 3 tells us there's a reminder of sins every year. It's the way it was set up. There was a reminder of sins every year. Verse 4 tells us it's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats would take away that sin. Sure, it could temporarily cover it. It could cover it temporarily, but it would never remove it. It would never take it away. And so I can imagine that the daily thought for these people as they considered this annual sacrifice coming and going was, ah, the guilt and the shame of my sin. I just, I'm just reminded of it. Just re- reminded of it. There's a, a problem, specifically there's a sin problem that was only taken care of temporarily. Now, why would the author of Hebrews bring that up? This is in the past, right? He's not even talking about something currently. He's talking about something in the past. Why would he bring this up? Think about this. Why would he bring up the old sacrificial system? This is in the past, right? They're in a new place now. Well, if you think about that in, in, in these ways, it's probable that the people in some way were living as if that was still the setup. As if the old way was, was still the, the current setup. People were, were probably still living as if the guilt and shame of their sin was still hanging over them. 
And so they had this this constant thing that, that was just looming over them. They weren't living, as we talked about last week, the abundant life that Christ came to offer. They weren't living in that space. And, and there are often times, I think, when you and I live the same way. Don't we? we? We live as if our sin has not been taken care of and we feel the guilt and the shame in a way that drives us not toward gratitude for what Christ has already accomplished, but toward worry and doubt and discouragement. I wonder where I stand. I wonder where, where, where my identity is. I wonder what my position with God is. And we live in that place. And, and, and I think as a needed aside, I, I think we should go this direction. If you're counting, this is the second aside. Um, I'm not saying at all, so don't, don't hear this. I'm not saying that we should not feel the weight of our sin. It's not what I'm saying. Yep, Christ came and he did that and now we don't even have to feel the weight of our sin. No, I'm not saying that we shouldn't feel uh, the, the remorse, the, the weight, the, 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 the disgust of giving in again to the temptation. Uh, that's not at all what I'm saying. That, that ought to feel heavy. That there's a peace that, that, that because of the Spirit in us that, that ought to feel heavy. That, that ought to, we ought to feel that, right? This is going to be a weak analogy, but if I tell you up front, it's okay to use a weak analogy, right? So it's a weak analogy. It's much like um, you feeling the weight of, of sin in your um, marriage relationship, right? When you sin against your spouse, this is what I've been told, right? When you sin against your spouse, you feel that weight, even though you've already talked through it and you've brought some resolve to the conflict, you still feel the sort of weight and burden of that sin, you still feel that. And here's where that analogy breaks down. Your wife could leave you. Your, your husband could leave you. God never will. But you still feel that sort of burden with, with your spouse. The, the point I'm trying to get at is you can feel the weight and the disappointment of sin without diving head over heels into the guilt and shame that defines your identity and status in relationship to God. You can still feel the weight of sin without claiming identity as someone separate from God. Your identity in Christ, please listen to this. Your identity in Christ is child of God. That's your identity. Thank you for the amen. We all need to to be saying that. Your identity in Christ is forgiven child of God. That's where we stand forgiven child of God. All of what we see in the laws of the old covenant are a shadow of the good things to come. And the good thing to come was Jesus. And he did. There's a problem. Specifically, there's a sin problem. And the author of Hebrews brings this up to continue the argument of what is greater. And I think at the same time, it's worth pausing to actually remember that there's a sin problem. So I'm not saying, yeah, 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 nope, no sin problem. Let's just shove that aside. No, I think it's worth pausing and saying, yes, there is a sin problem. We don't live in a neutral world. We are not neutral beings. We're not born into neutrality. We're born into darkness. There's a sin problem. This is in part, hear this, this is in part why we pause every week as a church in our liturgy, in the flowing out, in the working out of our worship of God, we, we pause every week as an intentional part of our liturgy to, to say together, yes, there's a sin problem uh, of which I'm a part. I still actively move towards sin when I don't want to. There, there's a sin problem. And, and so we pause every week to confess uh, our, our sin. And, and what does that then leave us longing for? 
What does it leave us longing for? I think what we're then left longing for is a solution. Yeah, uh, 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 there's a sin problem. We need a, a solution. So that's what we start seeing in verse 5. The, the author starts consequently, or, or therefore, the same word. I, I love the way the author turns that. Because it, it marks this stark transition. Yes, 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 there's a sin problem. Therefore, we need a solution. Right? There's a sin problem consequently when Christ came into the world. And the author quotes Psalm 40 to, to, as being something that Jesus said. Did you catch that? When Jesus said, and then he quotes Psalm 40. So some would say maybe that's the pre-incarnate Christ speaking here. Or maybe this is a, a, a messianic psalm that David wrote, but it's through the line of David that Jesus was. And, and so it's a messianic. Whatever the case, the, the author of Hebrews picks back up after the quote and explains what is going on. He says in verse 8 of chapter 10, when Jesus says you have neither desired or taken pleasure in sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, or sin offerings, who's he speaking to? God. Right? All of the different sacrifices listed in the law's requirements for taking care of sin. When Jesus said to God, these sacrifices are not completely pleasing to you. When Jesus said that, after that, there's an order here. This is what the author is trying to get at. After he says that, these, these sacrifices aren't completely pleasing to you. After that, Jesus adds, oh, but behold, I've come to do your will. Those things weren't completely pleasing, but I've come to do your will. So what Jesus is doing is this. He's doing away with the first in order to establish the second. There's an order to things. Jesus is saying through the psalm, the sacrifices weren't entirely pleasing to you, God, because they were temporary and had to be made over and over and over. That's why I've come to do your will. And implied in that is the will of God was one single sacrifice having to be made. So Jesus was coming, and in coming, he he did away with the old covenant and replaced it with the new covenant. There's a solution to the sin problem. There's a solution to the sin problem in that a greater sacrifice was established. Jesus did God's will. He did it. Look at, look at verse 10. I, I think we need to see this, be reminded of this. Verse 10, by Jesus doing God's will, that's how it picks up. By Jesus doing God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There's a solution to the sin problem, and it's a greater sacrifice established by a greater high priest, one who is perfect and gave his life perfectly as a sacrifice once. Friends. We need to be reminded of that regularly. I don't care how old or young you are or how old in the faith you are, how young in the faith you you are. We need to be reminded of that regularly. So much like we regularly, weekly confess our sins uh, to a God who hears us in in some ways as a reminder of the sin problem. Yep, there's a sin problem. We confess that, that, that we are, are, are people who, who lean toward sin. Just like that, we also pause weekly to remember the solution to the sin problem in the sacrifice of Christ. How? Through the Lord's Supper. And so we pause weekly to remember that the sacrifice of Jesus, our sin problem, is one that has a solution in Christ. And so we remember the sacrifice of Christ through the Lord's Supper, listen, of which our sin problem necessitates. And so we spend some time remembering that. Now, who knew that we would need that reminder? Jesus, right? Jesus knew that we would need that reminder. That's why just before he's arrested, he, he gathers with his, his disciples he, and, and he gives them a way to remember this. We see this in, in the gospel accounts 
where, where, where he lays this out. He says, this is my body broken for you, the bread. This is my, my blood shed for you, the, the wine. And, and then Paul takes over that argument and, and goes into 1 Corinthians and, and he gives us instruction for the church. Right? We're the church. So Paul gives us instruction about how this is to be worked out. And so 1 Corinthians 11, here's how Paul lays this out. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See that wording? In remembrance of me. We need those reminders. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Same wording as Hebrews. Do you see that? This is this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's Paul's instruction to the church. That they're to have regular reminders of the sacrifice of Christ through the taking of bread and wine in remembrance of Christ. In fact, we're told as often as we do it, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. As often as we do it, we're proclaiming the sacrifice of Christ. As often as we do it, we're proclaiming the gospel. The observance of the Lord's Supper is a way to to remember the death of Jesus. And what is the death of Jesus according to the book of Hebrews? Here's what it is. The will of God being done. It's the will of God being done. That's why we celebrate the, the Lord's Supper weekly. It's a regular reminder of what Christ has accomplished. Think about this. The, the way Paul sets this up, you can read it some other time in 1 Corinthians 11. He works this out and he says, when you gather, and he's talking about their weekly gathering. When you gather, this is how this has got to be worked out. It's a regular reminder of how you're doing it. This is exactly why we do it weekly. Now, I know you may have grown up in a church that did it every quarter, right? Or, or the, the, the third Sunday after the first Monday in voting years, like you, you did it that way, right? Or however that worked out. We do it weekly because I think... I do at least. I need a reminder of what Christ has done. Not that I've forgotten, but I just need that. I need that reminder in my life to to, to focus me on the fact that we have a God who sent His Son to to, to sacrifice so so that we could be in relationship with the God of the universe who called us into one. We need that reminder. Again, the author of Hebrews says it is through this sacrificial death, his body being offered, that we have been sanctified. We have been made right in God's presence. Only through the sacrificial death of Jesus, we're able to have a right relationship with God. We're in right standing with God through that sacrifice. There, there's a sin problem, specifically, again, a, a sin problem. Not just a problem, there's a sin problem. And that sin problem has a solution, and that solution is Jesus and his sacrifice. And we see in these final verses, and the culmination of this argument is this, the solution to that problem is final. That's good news, friends. The the solution to that problem is final, it's eternal, it's not temporary. And so the author reminds us that the, the earthly priests stand daily offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. See those words. They stand daily offering the same sacrifices over and over. And we're reminded the, the outcome, the, those same sacrifices, what, what? Will never take away sins. They, they're temporary. They, they cover sin, but they will never take them away. And the author shows us the exact opposite truths in Christ. 
It's beautiful. Verse 12, unlike the high priest, unlike the priest, Christ offered for all time one single sacrifice for sins. Unlike the priest, Christ sat down. He didn't stand up daily offering sacrifices. He sat down. Why? Because he was finished. He he sat down. The author brings back around from Psalm 110 to finish out that argument that Christ sat down at the right hand of God waiting for that time when his enemies would be made a, a footstool. Verse 14, unlike the priest, by by his one single sacrifice, Christ has actually perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The priest couldn't do that. The priest couldn't make perfect those who draw near. We saw that chapter 10, verse 1. By the same sacrifices year after year. They were doing the same stuff every year and they couldn't make perfect those who were drawn near. But Christ did. And then he brings the argument full circle. The author quotes Jeremiah 31, which we saw a couple weeks ago in chapter 8. Showing that the laws will be in their hearts and their minds and our, and our sins. What's it say? Will not be remembered. Will not be remembered. The, the sin problem finds its solution in Jesus where our sins will be completely and eternally taken care of in Christ. Eternally. The solution to the sin problem is final. It's not, it's not temporary. It's, something, it's not something that needs to be re-upped every year, right? It's not like your cable company, you know the one, that, that every year they just up your price without telling you because you signed a contract, you're in, right? No, it's not like that. We can talk about that later, all right? There's a, there's a help group for us. But it's not like that that needs to be re-upped. The sin problem uh, has a solution and, and it's final, it's final in Christ. Forgiveness has been done. Friends, we have a reason to worship God, don't we? That, that, that daily we're not offering sacrifices. That annually we're not hoping to make the right sacrifice to the right priest at the right place. That that, that sacrifice has been accomplished once and for all through our Savior, Jesus. And I think the temptation, when we begin to think about this deeply, or, or the danger that, that we may run into, when we begin to think about this very fact that, yes, Christ has offered himself once, and, and, and that is over. Forgiveness has been granted, and, and that's now in our past. It's been, it's been forgotten. It's not remembered anymore. I think the danger in, in thinking uh, uh, about that is that we would then lose interest in the fact that salvation has actually been accomplished through Jesus. Is anybody with me in that? That, that when we think, yep, 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 forgiveness is, is there. And so, yep, I don't, I don't really even need to think about it anymore. It's, it's a danger that I think can only be helped by regular reminders that there's a sin problem and that there's a solution in Christ, and that that solution is final. Remember the Jewish Christians being persecuted in Rome certainly knew these things that the author is laying out. Remember that. The the Jewish Christians are not hearing this for the first time. right? They're not thinking, oh, I haven't heard, tell me more about this. They know these things. It's been laid out to them time and time and time again. It's this long, detailed argument where the author lays out beautifully all the ways that Christ is greater than all the things we see in these stones that we've already walked through. That, that Christ is greater than, than the priests, and Christ is greater than the angels, and Christ is greater than the sacrificial system, and Christ is greater than the tabernacle and the old covenant. Christ is, is greater than, than all of those things. And the author has now explained that, that beautifully. Do the people not know that? Yes, they do. They know those things. And so the author is doing what? 
reminding them of what they already know in an elaborate and detailed way to show them clearly that they have, they have a lasting hope. They they currently, presently have a lasting hope. He's saying, endure, friends, endure. Stand firm, don't drift away. Keep your eyes fixed and your feet planted. Endure. There's a sin problem of which you're involved. There's a sin problem, but there's a solution to that sin problem. And that solution to that problem is final. It's final. It's it's enduring. It's eternal because Christ, who who now sits at the right hand of God, waiting for the, the, the day when he will return, his enemies will be put in submission under his feet, and he will gather people to take them home. It's final. And so the author is reminding his friends that there's a deep, satisfying rest and salvation found in Christ. That, that's the gospel, isn't it? That they need that reminder. And I would say to us, I think we also need that reminder. We are, are not much different because we often live, see if you're in this with me, I think we often live in, in a way that shows that we're still working to earn our salvation. And you may have to like figure that out in your own life, but I think we, we sometimes, maybe often, live in, in, in such a way that, that we try to work to earn or at least keep our salvation. We, we often live as if forgiveness is based on what we've done to pursue it. Right? So, so I've got to chase after God to try to win Him back. And we live in that way. We often live as if our sins are still counted against us. And if they're counted against us, then, then, then we need to do something to try to make that right. I need to get to church, and I need to do that confession of sin, and I need to take communion, and I need to like, act, go, go through the... I need to do something to make that right. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I, I, need to make, I need to make something happen to make that right. We live in that kind of world, so we need the reminders, too, that the work has been finished. Paul reminds us in, in Romans 8 that there is now uh, there's therefore now no condemnation no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus uh, forgiveness has been secured the, the work of forgiveness it, it has now been secured it's been finished sins past present and future have been covered have been removed have been forgiven in Christ his sacrificial death once a secured forgiveness. It, it has happened. It's final. And, and those who are in Christ face now no, no condemnation. Now that doesn't mean, therefore, we just live however we want. That means we regular, regularly remember what Christ ha- has done so that our eyes are fixed on Jesus, not on self. And, and I think we, we see this. Even in me speaking through this again, I'm, I'm reminded of the truth that that there is a, a solution to the problem. That, that there's a solution to the problem, and that solution is Christ and all that he has accomplished, and it's final. And we need those kinds of reminders. And so what I want to do for us this morning is I want to pray for us that, 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 that the work that God is maybe doing in our, in our own hearts now would, would take, right? And that we would listen, that we would hear that and, and move forward with those regular, regular reminders in worshiping who God is. Let's pray. God, I, um, I, I think much like, um, much like what I, I see in, in some of the, the people who first received the book of Hebrews, I, I see in myself a, a, 
a doubt and discouragement and, and lack of faith in you. Um, I, I see that in myself at times where I begin to m- move in a direction of, of trying to earn or keep um, my status with you. And I do that in all kinds of sick and twisted ways that, that are foolish in light of the fact that Christ has already accomplished it. So my prayer for my own heart and for my my friends here this morning is that we would see very clearly in this long argument that we've been working through for weeks, it's now finding its culmination here, that we would see so very clearly that the work of salvation, the work of forgiveness through the sacrifice of Christ has been finished. Christ is seated. The work has been done. There's nothing we can now do to earn more of your favor because you look at us through the lens of Christ and you see us as favorable. My prayer for my friends here this morning who may have been following uh, following you for many, many years but, but have forgotten this. My prayer is that you would spark again an interest in them. My prayer for those who, who maybe have been following you for maybe just months is that you would give them a greater desire to know these things, to to worship you because of what Christ has done, and that that would not fade away. And my prayer for those in this room this morning, there's certainly some in this room this morning who do not yet know you. My prayer for for my friends here this morning who do not yet call themselves Christians, that that, that is that you would be softening hearts, young and old, children and adults, that you'd be softening hearts to see their deep need for a Savior, a deep need for a solution to the sin problem. And that is a Savior. That is Jesus, who gave His life, paid the penalty that we should have paid so that we could have right relationship with you. My, my prayer is that we would see that, believe it, and, and turn to you. So would you do that work in hearts this morning, God? We pray. Amen. Amen.